Uh, good morning again. We are kicking off a new sermon series today called Mystery of the Kingdom. And I use the word mystery not to mean mysterious, but mystery meaning something that was hidden and has now come to light. And it's the fact that a king has come and established a new kingdom. And we ask, well, what is, who is this king and what is he like? And what does it mean to be part of a kingdom? Or how would I even enter into that kingdom? And how do I live as part of this kingdom? And, and we're going to answer those kind of questions. And to do so, we're going to explore a number of series through the Gospel of Mark. Now, when I use the word gospel, if you remember last series, we actually spent a whole Sunday on what is this word gospel? What does it really mean? The word gospel means good news. And so we say the gospel of Mark or the good news according to Mark. Uh, this man Mark wrote, it's, the good news is what Jesus has accomplished. It's an announcement of the life and the teachings and the actions, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is good news. And this is uh, in the account of the good news by Mark. Now, as, as we understand, Mark was the secretary and translator for the Apostle Peter. So this is essentially the eyewitness account of the Apostle Peter as recorded by Mark, who spent a lot of time with the disciples and he was, uh, he was with them. And it was the... The Gospel of Mark is the first gospel account of, of Jesus' life and teaching that was written. It predates the other ones, and it's, it's the shortest of the gospel accounts. It is very action-packed. It, it goes very fast-paced. And I don't even, you might have even noticed, even as Cindy was reading, it goes right from one thing immediately to the next. And there's a lot of action, and, and that's good. I believe that we are people whose faith is lived out in action, in, in the everyday, in the kind of the speed and the, the whirlwind of life. But why do we care about this? Why were we considering God's kingdom from this particular perspective? And it's easy, the reason is it's easy to become distracted, spiritually speaking, in life. That we can go about our day, that we can go about all that we have to do, and not be in tune with the fact that we live in a new kingdom of God. That Jesus has brought into the world and that we, we now live in. And it's just easy to become distracted. Uh, my, uh, my daughter has just got her first uh, fidget spinner. Are you familiar with fidget spinner? Anybody have one on them right now? It's okay if you do. Anybody? There was one in the first service. Are you familiar with this concept? Oh my goodness. You people. So they, it's a, I wish somebody had one. Nobody's got one. All right, so it's a device that you hold in your hand and it, it spins. You hold it with one hand, it just spins around. And the idea is there are, uh, for some students, if they're fidgeting with their hands, they can concentrate better on what's going on, say, in a classroom or in a church or wherever. They, they, it helps them to fidget while they're listening. It helps them concentrate. Now, for others, now these things are just fun. They're just plain fun to spin with, and I'm getting pretty good at it. You just, you just flick it and spin it. It's like twiddling. It's like twiddling. And, um, and, and I like to twiddle. So the... I, oh, so if you, if, but if it doesn't help you concentrate, if you don't really, if it doesn't help you to fidget, it becomes distracting, but it, it's a fun toy. So now everybody's got one in the classroom, and now there's this thing, and we got a memo from the school department this week about <laughs> their position, their posture towards fidget spinners, and there's news stories, and you've you got to look this stuff up. It's really fascinating. <laughs> What's your point, Pastor? My point is, my point is, we live in a world that has a lot spinning around, figuratively, literally, and figuratively, 
that it's just a frenetic world. And it's one thing to the next. It's easy to become distracted and lose sight of the reality of life. That every day, every breath that we take, we take in the presence of a King Jesus who rules the world and who desires to rule and guide our lives. And we need to reset our minds to his kingdom every day. And as we look through this, the, this, how Jesus set up his kingdom and what he came to do and accomplish, we are going to reset our minds and our hearts that every day we might follow him. When we look at the Gospel of Mark, again, this account of Jesus' life, we are going to see rhythms of work and rest and worship that God desires for our life. He, we see this kingdom played out in different, those different places, those different contexts. We're going to meet different people along the journey where this kingdom is extending. We're going to meet fishermen. We're going to look at them today. Laborers, parents, tax collectors, disabled people, leaders, farmers, lawyers, priests, builders, a very rich man, merchants, bankers, soldiers, governors. You're, we're going to see the kingdom intersect with a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. Probably not a lot different than the walks of life and the people that you intersect with in your everyday life as well. So this is going to, my hope is that this comes very alive and that we will just reset our hearts and our minds from the distractions of the world to the way of the kingdom. And I want to show you this morning three aspects of the kingdom. Three things that Jesus, right off the bat, right when he comes on the scene, that Jesus wanted to make clear to the world. And I want to look at those three things this morning. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that every moment we live, we can know you, we can experience you. But without your spirit, Lord, without you at work in our lives, we, we, we miss it. So Lord, in this time, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would be our teacher as we consider your word and as we consider Jesus and your kingdom we pray that our hearts would be open. We pray that our lives would be obedient to what you are calling us to this morning. This time is yours, Lord. Do as you please with it. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Three aspects of this kingdom that Jesus makes clear. The first is that the kingdom is close. The kingdom is close. Verse 14. After John, this is John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. What Jesus is saying is that in him, God's kingdom is very close. It's, it's at hand. It's, it's touchable. It can be experienced. It, God's kingdom is very close. Heaven has come to earth in Jesus Christ. The question for us before we go any further, though, is where's that kingdom today? Because even groups of Christians may take different perspective on where is this kingdom today, now? I get, you know, it was here with Jesus. Some have the view that this kingdom of God is a future kingdom that's going to come back. Jesus left the earth and he left with his kingdom and he's going to come back with his kingdom and power. And in the meantime, we live in the enemy's territory. We do not live in the kingdom. And we just need to survive. We just need to get by. Stay safe, support each other, you know, make enough of a living to meet your needs and maybe support your faith community. And, and, but we just got to survive this thing. 
The, the problem with that view, and actually that would be the dominant view in Jesus' day, that the Jewish people understood the concept of God's kingdom, but it was a very far and distant and future kingdom, that there would be a, a Messiah king who would come and, and rule the world and everything would be made right and live at peace, but it was so far away and so distant and cold, you're just waiting for it. But it doesn't seem to me that Jesus came that we could just, just so we could hold on for some future thing. Now, there's another view of the kingdom that's somewhat popular, is that the kingdom of God actually is, it's not just a future kingdom, but it's a present reality, but it's a present spiritual, personal reality. That the kingdom of God is something that lives in me, and in, my, in my spiritual life, in my spirit. And I, do, and I can do things that foster that spiritual life. Things like prayer, things like gathering for worship and, and meeting with other believers. And our, you know, we, we nurture it inside, but it's still, all, it's still, in that view, very distant from just the world out there. When Jesus comes and he says the kingdom of God is at hand, it, it's a much bigger thing than a future reality, and it's much bigger than my personal spiritual life. Jesus is saying that there has been inaugurated, there has been begun a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And it is, you can experience it, not just personally, but in the world around us. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is urging his followers to seek that God's kingdom would be known in our world today, all around us. Not just way in the future, not just right here, but everywhere. Now, we don't see this kingdom in its fullness today. There is a future kingdom that where Jesus' kingdom will be experienced in all of its fullness. But it is here and now. The kingdom is near. So how do we respond to that? What's the proper response to the kingdom at hand? Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. Have faith and repentance. You see, what happens when God's kingdom gets near, what we have is a holy God, a God who is the creator of the universe, who now takes on human flesh and walks near us, and a God who is very close. And when you get a holy God very close to that which is not holy, that's us. We are not holy people. We are not perfect people. You have God's perfection coming near to our imperfection. You have God's light coming near our darkness, and that's a problem. And without God's mercy and without God's grace and his great love towards us, we'd be in big trouble when his perfection gets near our sin. But his mercy is great, and his grace is great. And what we do is we trust in the good news that we can know him and experience him, and we repent. Repent means to turn. We turn from our sinfulness, from the darkness of our own hearts, from all the ways that we've strayed from the Lord, and we have a posture, a whole life, a whole way of life of repentance, turning from the old way and turning to him and his kingdom, and his grace is great, and it's there. The reason that's hard to do all the time in some ways, is because he's so good. You think about Jesus' humility, his humanity, his love, his grace, 
his meekness. We, and we talk about his friendship and our fellowship with God is so sweet and so real that we can forget that God is holy, that God is so other, that God is so powerful and so great that he's even allowed us to get anywhere near him should cause our hearts to want to turn from our sin and turn to his righteousness. But we can be prone to take that lightly. So we must be a people who, are, who see the holiness of God and see how great he is, and we humble ourselves, we trust in him, and turn from our sin. And that's the first aspect of the kingdom, that the kingdom is very close. So close that we must enter into it by turning from sin. The kingdom is close. The second aspect of the kingdom is that the kingdom is calling So not only is the kingdom close, but Jesus now starts walking along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon and his brother Andrew and they're casting nets into the lake. And he says, come follow me. And they leave their nets and then they follow him. And they're casting nets, which is kind of a fun way to fish. I don't know if you've ever cast a net, but it's usually a large circular net and it's got a a rope around the edge of the circle and it's uh, sinkers, weights all around the edge. And you cast it, and you've got to throw it out, but also get it to open up like a big umbrella. And it goes down, and the sinkers sink down. And when you pull the rope, it, it cinches the end together, and you trap the fish in there, and you pull it in by hand like that. So they're casting their nets, and they're fishing. And then you have another set of brothers, and Jesus goes to them, and they're mending their nets, or they're preparing their nets. And that's, a very, that's a different type of fishing. So the fishing's very good in the Sea of Galilee, by the way. So at that time... The Jewish historian Josephus said there was up to 330 boats that were fishing actively during that. And they would catch fish, and there was a salting business where they would salt fish and preserve fish and ship it all around the area. Very important industry. But these men now are mending nets, which means they were probably using some kind of a seine net where you would you stake one end of the net down at the bottom of the water, and then you either use a boat or you could pull it by hand in a circle and you slowly tighten it in and it brings the fish in tighter and tighter until they're all netted into your net. Now, uh, so here's two different types of fishing described here. What does that have to do with the sermon? Really nothing. I just love fishing. And I love love the specificity that this is, you know, two different things happening. Uh, But what what these next men did is says they left their father and the hired men and went and followed Jesus which means they were not hired men. They owned the business. Their family owned the business. And they, they were willing to leave their father and leave the family business, all the security and safety that they had in that and all the wonderful you know, fishing. And they were to follow Jesus. And he said, I'm going to make you something. I'm going to make you into something. You're fishermen. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to fish for people. You're going to be part of my kingdom. And what, we're, what I'm doing, to, I'm calling you that you might call other people to be part of what this is. The kingdom is calling. And the first time somebody described it to me like this, I remember I was a teenager, and I remember it vividly. The, The person said, look, Christianity is different than all other world religions. All the other faith systems and religions of the world are about people seeking after God, seeking after enlightenment, seeking after some sort of path. Seeking God. 
But in the Christian faith, we have a God who seeks after people. A God who pursues a broken world with love and with salvation. And we have Jesus on the scene and he starts calling people to himself. The Bible describes it as if we are all just sheep wandering off without a shepherd and the good shepherd comes and calls to us and finds us and calls us in to his flock. It's a God seeking after people and that is, a un- that is unique to our faith. And their response was to leave everything. They drop their stuff, they leave even their family, and they follow Jesus. Now, they had a unique calling, these men. Jesus called them to follow, and they left their business. God isn't calling everyone to leave their place of work to pursue some spiritual path or follow a a rabbi or a teacher. So that's not for everybody, but in essence... This calling does show us what it means to follow Jesus in that there's no moderate position. There is no, well, I will follow if things go well. I will follow as long as I'm healthy, as long as my family stays together, as long as my uh, career is thriving. I will follow if. It's, It's dropping everything and following the way of the kingdom before anything else. That's the call. Following Jesus is a full commitment, even a costly commitment. And the Gospel of Mark, more than any of the other Gospels, maybe it's because he's so connected to Peter, paints the disciples as, in not a great light, uh, as those who just don't understand, they're not perceiving what's going on, they're ignorant, they're repeatedly failing to follow Jesus. Now that is comforting to me and to other people who also fail to always perceive what Jesus is doing and how to best follow him, and we fall short and feel inadequate. So that's comforting. But here, this is the brightest light that is shown on these disciples, where they leave all they have, and they wholeheartedly follow Jesus. They drop everything else. And Jesus takes these very ordinary people. He takes these fishermen, and he makes them fishers of men. He takes ordinary people and changes the world with them. As Abraham Lincoln said, God must love ordinary people because he made so many of them. (laughs) We often think about who we are and what we can do and we forget to see what we are being called to, what Jesus could do with us if we followed him with our whole heart. The 15th century monk Ignatius He said, a thick and shapeless tree trunk would never believe that it could become a statue, admired as a miracle of sculpture, and would never submit itself to the chiseler of the sculptor, who sees by his genius what he can make of it. We need to see what Jesus is calling us to be and what he desires to do through our lives. And the first step is saying yes to that calling. Will you follow me? Yes. Part of our ability to become so easily distracted spiritually is because we're hanging on to all these other things, all these other ideas, all these other pursuits. And his kingdom is clear, and it's right in front of us, and we just haven't said yes and dropped everything else. I know in my life, my faith, even from childhood, I was taught of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, his death and his resurrection, the forgiveness of sins. And I, I knew that. I said yes to that. But there were so many things in my life that I hung on to, and, that, and I'm still learning 
Lord, what does it mean for me to let go of everything else and pursue you in your kingdom? Perhaps today you might pray, Lord, I will follow you alone. Yes, I hear you calling. And maybe even as you sit here today, you sense the calling of God. And I, and I urge you and I encourage you to respond to that calling. The kingdom is calling. God's kingdom is close. God's kingdom is calling. And the third aspect of the kingdom that Jesus makes clear right from the beginning of his ministry is that the kingdom conquers. And we see this in this account where Jesus goes to a synagogue. He's teaching. He encounters a man who has an impure, some sort of impure demonic spirit. And Jesus engages and rebukes the spirit and casts it out of the man. That Jesus' kingdom is coming on the scene and there's another kingdom already in place. Kingdom of evil, kingdom of darkness. And the new regime is coming in and the old kingdom is being torn down and the new kingdom is being built up in its place. And Jesus demonstrated it. Breaking down the reign of Satan, establishing a new kingdom. And it's one battle at a time. Whatever authority the old kingdom had is being displaced by the authority of the new kingdom. One battle at a time. But it is a battle. Entering into this kingdom is engaging in warfare. And it's, it doesn't always look or seem pleasant. In this case, the demon is cast out. There's this shriek. There's a, a violent shaking. It didn't feel good. We experience this in our lives too. When God is tearing things out, the old way, the selfish way, the broken way, as God is tearing that out, it hurts. But he's building in something new and beautiful and good in its place. But he needs to uproot the other stuff in our life. Scripture says that no discipline feels good at the time, but God is producing something beautiful and good in its place. The kingdom that Jesus brought into this world that exists in our world today is a kingdom that heals. It's a kingdom that heals a broken world. And I don't need to convince you that our world is broken. I don't need to convince you of, of, of how deep the hurt and pain and loss in this world can be in, the, in our lives and in the lives of people we love. But God desires to establish his kingdom to fully cleanse this world your life, to cleanse communities, to, to, to cleanse people of sin and brokenness. And why is it when we read the Bible that Jesus is going around healing and healing and healing? And every, everywhere we turn, Jesus heals a crippled person and he heals a blind person and here he heals a possessed person. And what, why the healing the healing? Because it's all a glimpse of the kingdom which will be known in its fullness in the future. And Jesus wants us to see those glimpses of the kingdom. He wants us to see and experience healing today as a foretaste of the kingdom to come. So it's not just in the future, but we can see it today. That's why we still pray for healing today. God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is about knowing healing and wholeness and restoration in this world. And so we pray. Now again, we don't always see the kingdom in all of its fullness. And we don't always get healed of every disease and every sickness and every broken relationship. But we do see miracles. We do see healing. We pray and we desire to see it because that is God's heart 
is to heal. And I want to invite you this morning, and every morning as we gather to worship, as we finish, we have people up front who are here to pray for you and pray with you. And if you have any sense that God is prompting you to seek healing, they would love to pray with you to that end. Or that God's, God is somehow calling you, but you don't know how to respond. Come forward today and let someone pray with you and pray for you that you might know this kingdom. Those are the three aspects of the kingdom that we're, introdu- we're introduced to immediately here. The Gospel of Mark. That the kingdom is close, the kingdom is calling, and the kingdom is conquering. One more thing I want you to notice. And you'll see this as we look through Mark. There's a lot of language, words like at hand, or immediately, or right away, or without delay. There's a certain urgency to this kingdom that as it's unfolding, real fast pace. And that's an urgency we don't always feel. And again, I mentioned earlier, I was you know, teaching I heard when I was a teenager. I was exposed as a teenager to some pretty high pressure, I call it high pressure Christian sales pitch. And it was frightening. Um, basically, somebody standing in front of a group of young people saying, you know, if you were to die today, you know, if you were to walk out the door and a tree fell on you, you know, what would happen? And, and it, that's, that's frightening. There's a lot of trees where I was. And, um, <laughs> and I think unhelpful teaching in many ways. However, the urgency of that type of teaching, I think, is something that is real. That we don't know. I don't know, Lord, how, how long I have. And I don't know what's going to come today or tomorrow. And I don't know what the future holds. But the kingdom is so close, and the kingdom is calling, and we can respond to it, and we can experience all the beauty of the kingdom today. We need to act with urgency, with faith and repentance. We need to act uh, to follow him fully. We need to experience the amazing healing power that his kingdom brings in our lives. Amen.